chances are, if you're going to a Thanksgiving gathering with friends and family or whatever that table looks like, that place you're going to gather together with loved ones to give thanks, and if you're not, hope you are, hope you find a place, um, our table's always open, so you're certainly welcome to eat with us if you wish. But um, if you're going to a place like that, you can just about guarantee that someone Someone has put a ton of energy and effort into getting things ready. And they may, if they, even if they don't look like that mom who's covered in dough, they may feel like that mom covered in dough. And they probably started buying things days or even weeks ahead of time, preparing the day before or two days before. And if you're doing a, a pitch-in, a, gather, a gathering where you're, you're a carry-in, well, there may be several people, two or three moms that are, are putting, or dads or whatever, that are putting everything together and going through all that extra effort just to set the table, set a table that friends and family can gather around together and enjoy a time of fellowship, a time of being, just being with one another. Because those times, those times are so rare anymore in our day and age for entire families to be able to gather together like that, or groups of friends to be able to gather together like that. Life keeps us so pulled in different directions and and physically separated right now because of, of COVID and such. We are finishing up the series called At the Table. It's, it's a Thanksgiving prep series as we're leading up to that day that's coming up this Thursday or, or this, this season where families and friends tend to gather more than they do during the summer months. And the goal of this series is to examine something that's not just, we call not just our table, but God's table. A table that should be a setting for joy, for vulnerability, and for unity, where we gather together. In the first week, we focused on recognizing God's provision, recognizing his presence in our ability even to gather together, whether it's the food or the transportation or just the people that he breathed life into that are able to be here. God has provided this opportunity for us to gather together. And, and it gives us an opportunity to reset our hearts when we remember his provision, to reset our hearts to his purposes. Last week, we talked about some things that might go on at the table. Specifically, it's an, as an, seeing it as an opportunity Again, whatever your table looks like, if you go back to last week's message, it could be family, it could be friends, it could be virtual, it could be a combination of many things. But when you're able to gather together, and yes, commonly around a meal, it doesn't have to be that, but it lends itself to discussion and that kind of unity. But it's an opportunity, as we discussed last week, to bring people together from the edges into the family of God, whether that be uh, people within your your physical family or your church family or your friends that you just, they're on the edge. You don't speak to them often. You don't have a, a close relationship with them. It's an opportunity to, to rekindle some things or create new relationships. Maybe it's an opportunity to bring in people who don't yet know God. And, and that's really the crux of what we worked on last week is the idea of inviting people to sit at your table with you in this holiday season. Uh, people that you work with that are friends of yours that you just, you know, they don't know God yet. 
and he would love them to come to know Jesus. And, and it's not an opportunity necessarily to, to sit them down in front of a table and once you got them trapped, start preaching. That's not, it's not the goal. It's to build relationships because belonging truthfully precedes believing. Right? Coming to know people and feeling like you're a part of something bigger than yourself or that you're loved or accepted comes before you begin to believe the thing that got you there. You begin to believe in the reason for our hope, and that is Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to look at the table, God's table, one more time. And we're going to do that out of John chapter 21. You're welcome to, to look that up in your Bibles if you like. It's John chapter 21. We're going to be roughly verses 1 through 20, give or take. Uh, but we're going to bounce around some. But if you want to open to John chapter 21, that would be great. But Jesus brings his disciples to the table one more time. And when he does, he does it for a single incredible purpose. The restoration of his brother and his friend, the apostle Peter. If you don't know Peter's story. Peter had been with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. He's one of the very first called. But there's a, a time near, right before Jesus is crucified, where Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him publicly, that he will say, no, I don't know this guy. I don't know this Jesus. He's not my friend. He's not the guy I follow. I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not with him. And, and in John chapter 18, despite Peter's protestations that he would never do such a thing. Uh, in John chapter 18, verses 15 and following, he does. Not once, not twice, but three times in a single evening, he does. And he does it when, really, he believes his life is on the line. And so Jesus is in the midst of his trial before Pilate and others. He's in the midst of defending himself, and he's in the midst of being persecuted and prosecuted for something he'd never done, for being a traitor, and he was no such thing. He was a threat to their power. That's really the reason why he was there. But he's in the midst of being prosecuted, and as the story in John 21 takes place, he has been crucified, hung on a cross to die for our sins, been buried for three days, and then resurrected defeating death and bringing life to himself and to all those who would follow him. At the core, that is the price Jesus paid for you and for I. And in many ways, that's the gospel in a nutshell. He took care of our sins for us. And in choosing to trust him in that, we can come to live in a, a life that God views can view as sinless, an eternity that God can view as sinless, as sinless because when he sees us, he actually sees Jesus. He sees him who paid the price for us. But in the midst of all of this, Peter is in a bad spot in his relationship with God because Peter's last act before Jesus's crucifixion, really, was to deny him, was to say, I, I don't know you. I don't know him. I'm not with him. It would be really, really easy for Peter to feel like he's been separated from God and that he cannot be reconciled with God. And I think that's something that I see happen on a very regular basis where people believe, even if you grew up in the church or knowing the church, you, you kind of look back at your history, the decisions you've made, the things that you've done, uh, the sins you've committed, and you think there's no way 
God would ever restore me to a relationship with him. And I think that's the case even if you've never known God. If you're in a place where you believe that you have just done so many things wrong in this life, there's no way anyone would ever forgive you for that. The truth is a human being might not. Uh, Human beings, as much as we try sometimes, aren't very forgiving. There's a line we all have somewhere that we say you can't cross this or there's no way back. But, But Jesus is not a mere man. He is God. Peter feels so separated from God that when Jesus has already shown himself to them twice after his resurrection, he still is at a loss for what this looks like, what this is going to feel like, and how he's going to be, if he could even be connected with God. And in John chapter 21, verse 3, he goes so far as to say, I'm going fishing, right? He goes back to his work life. He goes back to the world that he knew before Jesus as though he was unable to continue to proceed in the new life Jesus had called him to and the new calling Jesus had trained him for. He goes back to his old life. He goes fishing. And the truth is the other disciples do the same. They go with him. But in John chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus sees Peter and the others fishing out on a boat in the in the water, about a about a hundred yards offshore is what the, the scripture says. And and they're out there fishing, and they've been fishing all night long. All night. And they have caught literally nothing. Literally nothing. And Jesus standing on the shore, and by the way, they don't know it's Jesus. It's a hundred yards away. They just hear a guy yelling at them. They can barely hear the voice over the water. And they hear this guy scream, friends, this is what it says in John chapter 21, verse five. It says, friends, don't you have, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. And then he tells them something strange. He says, it's because you're putting your net on the wrong side of the boat. All you got to do is switch your net to the other side of the boat and you're going to catch plenty of fish. They don't recognize him. They have no idea who he is initially. But they, what they do know is there's this guy standing on shore who's calling them friends. And so they do. They throw their net out the side and something miraculous happens. They catch so many fish they can barely get it in the boat. And one of the disciples, the one who Jesus loved is what the scripture says, finally says, that's Jesus on the shore. He's the one who told us to do that. And Peter Peter, because Peter is impetuous (laughs) and Peter's a little bit nuts, I think, and I'm good with that because I tend to be too, both impetuous and a little nuts. He wraps up his coat around his shirt and he dives in the water and swims 100 yards to shore while everybody else is getting the fish into the boat and paddling to shore. Peter is swimming, swimming to Jesus to greet this man who has no reason to call Peter friend and yet has, has called him friend. If we look at last week's text, we looked at Luke chapter 15 and one of the, and the parable we really spent the most time in was the parable of the lost sheep. The idea that, that if someone wanders away from Christ, he will go the extra mile to bring them back and and we should probably do the same but i think peter's situation has more to do with the the prodigal son though not strictly so but at least but peter chose to make to say 
he didn't know Jesus. He chose to do that in a moment of, of fear. And Jesus is giving him an opportunity. And as Peter swims back to him, just as the prodigal son came back to the father, Jesus is there waiting, waiting for them. They have wandered away from his call to fish for men. Remember, Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry that he was going to make them fishers of men. They've wandered away from that and they've gone back to life as usual. But Jesus says, no, no. No, no, I, I'm with you. I'm going to bring you back, restore you to our family. And our text where we're going to pick up is John chapter 21. We're going to pick up in verse 9. And it's after they've gotten to shore. And it says this. It says, when they got out, out on the land, again with this pile of fish, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying around it and bread. Jesus had already brought his own fish and bread. It should remind them of the, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. But it says in verse 11 or verse 10, it says, Bring up some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them in all. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them, and none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and they did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. They came back to him. They came back to him as he called them friends, even though that they had wandered away from the call he had placed on them. And Peter in particular had denied him. They called them friends. And what was waiting on them was a fire to warm them. Remember, they've been fishing all night long. Peter himself, we know, is soaking wet because he dove in the water and swam to shore. They are wet and they are tired. Probably what's exciting them that at this point is just the adrenaline of, are you kidding me? I flip my net to the other side and I get more fish than I could possibly imagine. And Jesus is here again. That is the only thing really keeping them moving. And Jesus is there to build a fire for them. He also, as I said earlier, nourishes them. John chapter 6 tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus took a small amount of loaves and fishes and made it more than enough to feed 5,000 people. What we find, Jesus is trying to tell them that when we lean on his understanding of what's, of what's needed rather than our own, we lean on him to provide. We are strengthened in ways that we could not have foreseen even a moment before. And you know, just moments before when they'd been fishing all night long and getting nothing, they thought this was going to be a bad day and Jesus had turned it around in a moment, in a matter of seconds. Jesus received them at his table. He took the bread and broke it is what it said. That's very similar to what he did with them at his last meal before he was crucified. Crucified. He broke the bread and he shared it with them. That's the last supper that we remember. He's reminding them. This is very specific. He's reminding them of the covenant that he's made with them and his promise to be with them on the journey. His table is always set and his friends are always Welcome. I think it's interesting to me that Jesus, that, that Peter 
was standing by a fire as he denied Jesus, as those around him were pointing at him and saying, you're with him. He was standing by a fire and said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. It's interesting that Jesus uses a fire as well, a fire with some food to restore him. Make no mistake, Peter understands what's going on here. This is an opportunity. And the most amazing thing about what Jesus does comes next. It says in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, check this out. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Simon, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now, there's a whole other set of discussions around what that means for him to have asked three times. But suffice it to say, and we can dig into that in another lesson, but suffice it to say, God was taking an opportunity at his table to restore Peter, someone who thought probably he was unrestorable, who had done the one thing he said he would never do, and that's deny Jesus Christ. And God still says, no, I can restore you and gives Peter an opportunity to come back to him. For Peter, this is restoration to the kingdom of God, to his friendship with Jesus Christ. And, and if we continue to read through the New Testament, you will see that Peter, from this moment on, kind of takes off like a fire and becomes a leader in the body of Christ as it continues to grow across, the, across Southeast Asia and eventually the world. Peter was a flawed guy, a broken guy. And the truth is, probably still was after he came to know Jesus. Rarely do we, if ever, do we come to know Jesus and become perfect. In fact, yeah, no. I've only ever, as a friend of mine once says, I've only ever known one perfect Christian, and I made my first mistake this morning. <laughs> there are no perfect Christians. But, but the idea that we could be restored even despite this, man, that's something we need. And it's something that can happen at God's table. Uh, Professor Barry Jones says it this way. He says, the table is the place where broken sinners find connection and belonging. Despite our best intentions, we all, like Peter, stumble after we meet Jesus. We desperately need people who would journey with us in our, our stumbling. We need to recover table fellowship as a spiritual discipline in order to strengthen the, how, the bonds of spiritual friendship among believers who are walking together on the road. We have to see it as a spiritual discipline. And the spiritual discipline are, are those things that keep us focused on the things of God and help us grow in our faith. Reading scripture, praying, fasting, meditating on God's word, 
meeting together, gathering together. And Jesus made such a big deal, including our scripture here of fellowship around a meal, around a table, as a place where amazing, incredible things can happen, including restoration. Restoration into the kingdom of God and restoration into our friendships with one another, our relationships with each other. The, this concept of restoring in the New Testament, it's, it's used to, to talk about restoring harmony between groups of people. It's used to discuss or, or, or illustrate the setting of a bone, right? Met, or, or mending a net, making something that was broken, repaired, fixing it, restoring it, making it right. It's this idea of restoration is when you're traveling down the wrong road, Jesus uses it to talk about turning to head the right direction. But the one that, that really I love is the one where it's, it's it, this concept of restoring describes putting a dislocated limb back into place. You see, last week we talked about the capacity to to reach to people that we don't know very well at all, we've never had a relationship with, or that don't know Jesus. This week, I want to I want to say that the table. Jesus uses the table as a place to take those with with whom we've had relationships break or fall apart. Maybe it was time. Maybe it was distance. Maybe it was an argument. But something disintegrated your connection or your friendship. The table, God's table, when he's invited, when he's present, is a place to restore that, to put that dislocated limb back into place, to make it work in relationship with the other parts of the body, in particular the body of Christ, right? We are all one body with many parts. And only when all the parts are together are we able to do everything God wants us to do? This kind of restoration is an opportunity to heal. And so if there are people in your life, especially in your spiritual life, in your church life, but also in your family too, because that's a body as well that requires all the proper parts. If there are people in your world that you have had a falling out with, that things have fallen apart, that you had a relationship with at one point, but somebody said something or did something somewhere, somehow feelings were hurt, people were offended. Maybe even it's gone back so far you don't even remember for sure how it all started, although you may just have it burned into your head. Fun fact, whoever this person is or these people are probably have a completely different image burned in their head. Perspective is an interesting thing. But the table is an opportunity to put those things back into place. God offered that to Peter. This is what happens when God is at the table, when we make our table God's table. That is what Jesus did for Peter. That is what Jesus did for us and continues to do for us, is to restore us to a relationship with him, to make us one with him and one with God. And it's what we are supposed to do with one another. In this holiday season, I encourage you, as you gather, see that as an opportunity, an opportunity to reach the world and reach those you have not had an opportunity to engage with for the cause of Christ, an opportunity to remember 
the blessings that God has provided and to kind of reset your hearts and an opportunity to restore relationships between one another. Because when we are whole, when our limbs are all back in place, we are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever manage on our own. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.